This is a podcast by The Straits Times and Money FM 89.3. Good morning. It's the breakfast huddle with Adrian Abraham and Ryan Huang. Time now for our China perspective. And of course, China is dealing with its most widespread COVID outbreak since the initial cases. Last year, with lockdowns striking a blow to consumption growth, just as exports slow while flooding and chip shortages weigh on industry. Latest data showed that China's growth slowed more than expected. A lot of factors that are contributing to this. Meanwhile, the Taliban's takeover of Afghanistan after 20 years poses new risks and opportunities for neighboring China. Joining us on the line is Dr. Oe Sanfi, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International affairs. Good morning, doctor. How are you? Uh, I'm doing well, but of course, as you can understand, busy. (laughs) Yeah, we caught up with you just earlier to get your thoughts on everything that's happening in Malaysia. Let's first talk about the other significant headline this week. That's the Taliban retaking Afghanistan officially with the group's descent on the capital, Kabul. So much happening over there. How would this situation prove a concern for China? Well, of course, the Taliban has always been famous for their very firebrand sort of well, brand of, of their religious pursuits and, and so on. So, of course, with China having a somewhat restive western frontiers in Xinjiang and so on, there is uh, uh, an expected risk that the, with the Taliban uh, having taken control of Afghanistan, it would, for example, embolden some of China's domestic, shall we say, restive terrorist networks, uh, in, especially in the western part of the country. But of course, China has been uh, engaging with the Taliban since, I think, at least last month when a very high-level Taliban delegation visited China, including now the new purported leader of the country. Yeah. Yeah, where it gets interesting is that Beijing has not explicitly said it will recognize the Taliban as the new leaders of Afghanistan, a move some, including British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, have urged against. Uh, You know, also the Chinese embassy in Afghanistan is continuing to operate as normal and its ambassador and embassy staff will remain in their post. Now, first of all, what do you make of this and how important is this relationship to China? Well, of course, Afghanistan is in a very strategic geographical uh, location. Granted, it's a landlocked country, but in a sense, it's not far away from, uh, let's say, an access to uh, the Indian Ocean. So that's why countries uh, such as the former Soviet Union and so on would like to have a stranglehold on Afghanistan as well. For China, Afghanistan is also important for its so-called Belt and Road Initiative because one of the land routes would or could possibly go through Afghanistan, right? So in that sense, China has has been uh, engaging with the the Taliban uh, movements at that time. Now perhaps it's the Taliban regime. And from what the Taliban leaders have been telling the world, China is their friend and so on. So I think we could, at least at the initial stage, looking at perhaps a a bit of uh, engagements between China and Taliban. 
in terms of economic cooperation, especially here. Yeah. You've also got observers saying that while China may not be directly involved in the ongoing power transition, Beijing will play an active role in the rebuilding process to in, to secure its interests. Now, how will this play out? Well, as you mentioned, it's a rebuilding process, right? And China is, of course, extremely good at building uh, infrastructures around the world, right? Even further a few as, let's say, in South America. So, yeah, if the Taliban indeed, or sorry, is in need of uh, employing some of this Chinese expertise in rebuilding the countries, building the roads and railways and so on, I think China will be more than happy to uh, help out because this will be part and parcel of their Belt and Road initiatives and they could extend their influence you know, further into uh, Central Asia and thereby, from their point of view, hopefully stabilizing further their restive Western frontiers. This podcast is available on our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us. And now, back to our podcast episode. Interesting. We're in conversation with Dr. Oe San, Senior Fellow at Singapore Institute of International Affairs, switching gears to China's new COVID-19 surge and how it's affecting economic recovery. China's long been touted as the first in, first out nation in the post-pandemic scenario. Now, how is this new wave of coronavirus cases hampering on consumer growth? Can it still attain its 8.5 GDP for the year? Well, I think the 8.5 percent target uh, is increasingly untenable. And, and that is because, well, although the number of cases of coronavirus cases in China remains very small, sometimes you're talking about 10 or maybe 20 uh, cases, but China has zero tolerance for these coronavirus cases, and they would uh, employ very stringent lockdown measures, uh, restrictions on movements, and so on. And understandably, this would slow down especially manufacturing as well as various other consumer activities. Therefore, your overall GDP uh, would, of course, suffer. This is, of course, in addition to various other natural disasters such as floods uh, and so on. Yeah, and Doctor, just before I let you go, the COVID-19 resurgence isn't the only factor to blame for this consumption and factory slowdown. Apart from floods, weak demand, chip shortages, China's also dealing with slower investment growth and it remains slow. And how will China manage these pressures? Has it tainted the first in, first out image for the other recovering economies? Or is it a case of shooting itself in the foot as the pace of local government infrastructure bond issuance hasn't picked up and it's tough stance on the property market. Well, there's a Chinese adage that you would constantly look for opportunity out of a crisis, right? And China is actually faring comparatively well in comparison, of course, with other many other major economies. I think China is also making use of this opportunity in a sense to do some sort of a house cleaning some sort of uh, market regularization. You see, for example, they are trying to uh, discourage a lot of these dot-com companies from overblowing their uh, valuations and so on. They are also trying to, uh, well, clean up the environment by restricting these industries which are heavily polluting. 
they are also, I think, rolling out a series of regulations, uh, even on such as the tuition industry, right? Trying to restrict uh, this uh, sort of overgrown size of this uh, education industry. So I, I think while this process is going on, China would, of course, suffer a little bit in their uh, economic growth. But I think the hope is in the long term, it will be a quality growth and not just growth in quantity. Yeah. The thoughts of Dr. Owe Sun, Senior Fellow, Singapore Institute of International Affairs. Thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us this morning. And I look forward to speaking to you soon. Thank you. The Asian Insider Podcast channel is also available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Like us and rate us.